I didn't smoke heavily, but I've been around smokers all my life. I started smoking when I was 17, and I gave up when I was 24. So I smoked for about eight years, I guess, and not very heavily, I don't think. But? But, yeah, I smoked. I've been around smokers all my life. My dad worked for WD Nature Wills, <laughs> but that didn't really mean that I took up smoking because of him. In fact, probably he was the person more or most uh, against me smoking when I started smoking, I suppose. Um, but Did I'm not sure that this is all about smoking. It could be. Did your parents smoke? Yes, both of them smoked. Both my parents smoked for all their lives. Um, um, ironically, both of them died of cancer, but neither of them died from a cancer which was caused by smoking, so say the experts. My father was a blender of tobacco. He was a buyer of tobacco originally for William Butler Tobacco Company and then W.D. Nature Wills, which became British American Tobacco. And as a buyer, he became a blender. And then he effectively was the chemist that put together the cigarettes in the way that they were compiled flavours and different leaves and different things. And he travelled lots of places from Mariba in Australia to you know, Rhodesia or rather in Africa. Like somebody created perfume and blended different flavours together, uh, my dad um, created cigarettes. I remember one interesting one, which was this Port Royal um, Roll Your Own Tobacco which smells great, and to this day I think it smells great when I smell it in the in the pouches. It was sweet and fruity and all sorts of things. Anyway, he created all those things, and um, he'd, he'd travel around and look for leaves that from different places, and if it rained too heavily in South America, you know, he'd have to find somewhere else in New Guinea that, that had the same type of leaf or whatever. And ultimately he uh, had to provide information to the artificial intelligence people who today, of course, cigarettes are not blended by blenders. It's all created artificially by computer programs. But he and um, uh, a bunch of tech-savvy artificial intelligence people back in the early 80s or mid-80s created um, what is now the blending models for British American Tobacco Company, which I shouldn't sound too proud about that, really. <laughs> I think there has been an element of passive smoke around me all my life. No question about it. Certainly in my teenage years and 20s and, you know, well, in my childhood and 20s, in those days, people smoked in the house and in bars and in restaurants and all sorts of places. It was really only in the 80s that we publicly stopped smoking in places like aeroplanes and some offices and things of that nature. So, yeah, I've had passive smoke around me all my life as a result of my upbringing and just the general community, you know, smoking. It's what we did. It's what we did, yeah. However, we don't know yet what has caused your cancer. No, my, one, my cancer is throat cancer, and one of the causes of throat cancer is smoking, but I'm not a smoker. As I said, I've been around smoke, there are other causes potentially as well, but we just don't know and may never know what caused my cancer. I guess they'll have some pathology eventually and they'll know.
alcohol is is another co- is another cause. Um, so smoking alcohol are the are the most uh, prevalent. The other one is HPV, the human papillomavirus, which apparently people can have without knowing they have it for decades. The vast majority of people have HPV. Yeah, I've since found out that um, they want to immunise teenage boys against uh, HPV. I don't really know the details. I think they're wanting to immunise teenage boys by using the cervical cancer vaccine against uh, HPV. So what happened? I went to the doctor back in September for a sore throat that was quite persistent. I had a sore throat for what seemed like months um, and I'd kind of put up with it. it. It seemed to come and go, but actually it was pretty much always there. And um, eventually I gave up whinging about it and went to the doctor. She looked in my throat and saw that, you know, it was a little red, so prescribed some antibiotics, which I took um, religiously for two courses and then went back to her and said, no, I've still got a sore throat. And she was, I don't really know what the thought process was, but um, she was wondering whether I had some post-nasal drip and I felt like I did. I couldn't quite work it out. I now know that the lump in my throat that I'm constantly trying to swallow is actually attached to the back of my tongue, but I didn't know that at the time. So we put some steroids up my nose for a few weeks and tried to dry up my nose and um, uh, that didn't help the throat and I still had that feeling and so I went back and saw her late November and at that point she decided that that wasn't really what we wanted Um, so she had me see an ear nose and throat specialist that Saturday I saw him on the Saturday he had a look down my throat and said that I have a lump in my throat that he wasn't too keen on and sent me off to have an MRI on the Tuesday. Um, Then he phoned me on the Wednesday to say that he wanted me to come in on Saturday to have a biopsy. So that was Saturday the 1st of December. I had a biopsy. Uh, He rushed through the pathology and rang me Monday night to say I had a tumour that was um, cancer and that there was more than likely a secondary cancer in my lymph glands. And I went on the Tuesday then to a cancer specialist, head and neck surgeon, and he confirmed um, that I had uh, the cancer and that, again, most likely that there was a secondary cancer and that he wanted me to do a PET scan, which is like a CAT scan on steroids, Um, It was a CAT scan as well as being injected with some radioactive glucose. And so that was on the Friday. And on that Friday, the PET scan showed that um, I had a cancerous tumour in my throat and also in one of the lymph glands in my neck. And that afternoon, I saw the radio oncologist and discussed uh, the treatments available. So that's kind of the process. That's where I ended up. And then I had to decide between surgery and chemotherapy, both of which probably coupled with radiation therapy. The other, the, the other interesting thing that I now know, um, having read about throat cancer, is not a lot everybody tells you, it's interesting, but I have now read that um, throat cancer initially presents itself as an earache. And I went to the doctor for an earache 
back in February. You know, I, I, I had an earache and my jaw was a bit sore and so um, we just thought that uh, maybe I slept with my mouth open or maybe I held my head strangely and so I had some jaw exercises to try to relieve the pressure uh, because there was nothing wrong with my eardrum. It just looked like I was putting some pressure on a nerve or something. But then I didn't, of course, couple the earache with the sore throat until reading about it now. And it was only the radio oncologist who actually said to me, when did I first get the earache? And he then was trying to analyse how fast the tumour was growing. And given that I have had the earache since at least February, the tumour is not growing terribly fast. So that's a good thing. Even so, I'm going to have to have it out. That's a really devastating choice to have to make. If you've got throat cancer, you've got to choose between uh, surgery with the likelihood of radiotherapy following it and chemotherapy and radiotherapy combined with no surgery. And both the surgeon and the radio-oncologist have said to me that it has to be my choice. Now, that's been pretty difficult. It's not like going to the doctor and finding you've got a sore throat and having somebody tell you, well, this is, the, um, um, this is what you do, take this pill and, and you know, lie down. The textbook treatment, I'm told, by the radio-oncologist for throat cancer is chemotherapy and radiotherapy combined and that surgery in the past has been a drastic measure only taken if necessary because to get to the back of your throat, the surgeon needs to cut through your jaw, split your jaw open and then excise the tumour, then close the jaw up and join it back together again. And apparently... That's not always that successful and affects obviously all sorts of things from speech to swallowing to goodness only knows what. So the classic treatment and the textbook treatment, I'm told, is chemotherapy and radiotherapy. However, there is um, an option for surgery and nowadays there's a new option for surgery which is a robotic surgery option where they don't need to split your jaw essentially send this little robot down your throat. It makes no choices of its own. The surgeon manipulates it remotely and it chops out the tumour. So I had to choose between surgery and chemotherapy. I've chosen the surgery route. Why? I think surgery for throat cancer now with this robotic thingamajig is probably less invasive than chemotherapy because... Da Vinci would have been really annoyed if you'd referred to him as a thingamajig. Yeah, well, it's a Da Vinci robot is a bit of a thingamajig. Um, I'm not sure if I get to keep it as a souvenir. That'd be pretty cool. Um, robotic surgery is new, and I gather this Da Vinci robot has been used remotely by all sorts of people from the American military through to surgeons that are using it here. So I'm going to um, uh, go with the robotic surgery because I think it's going to be less of a strain on me and my body than the combination of chemotherapy and radiotherapy. For some people, the robotic surgery, there's not enough data at the moment, but for some people, the robotic surgery result is complete cure and no need for radiotherapy. 
but I'm in what's called stage 3 cancer where I have a secondary cancer in my lymph gland which means they have they can't use the robot to get that out they've actually got to cut me from my ear to the middle of my throat and extract lymph glands but because of the possibility of microscopic cancers being elsewhere in the lymph glands uh, the likelihood of radiotherapy following the surgery is pretty high for me but for others who have throat cancer and no secondary cancer to excise the tumour with this robot da Vinci thingamajig um, would be pretty good. And I'm told that the current data says that 60% of those people don't have any follow-up radiation needed. I don't think I'm going to be in that category because of the secondary cancer, but that's neither here nor there. And it is most unlikely that I will require chemotherapy post-operation. Do you feel confident? Yeah, I'm confident that this is a curable cancer. Both the surgeon and the radiologist separately and independently said that the outcome of this is uh, most likely that it will be cured and, you know, it's, it'll be gone. What are you worried about? Um, what am I worried about? I don't know that I'm really worried about much. The things that worry me mostly are family and friends worrying unnecessarily or worrying more than they need to. That's the... I've found that to be a very interesting process, talking to family and friends and saying, look, I've got some news, but it's all okay, really. I've got cancer, you know, and nobody really takes that very well. So I'm mostly worried about getting other people worried. As for surgery, I don't like the idea of it, never really have. But you, know. you don't like taking a Panadol. No, I don't like taking a Panadol. Why would I like surgery? What are you expecting post-operatively, post-treatment? Post-operative care is, I'm told, and it's early days for me to really know, but I'm told it's basically pretty simple. The throat will heal quite well and the stitches in my neck will heal like any other operation wound and it'll be fine. I'm told there's potential... I mean, I'm having a part of the back of my tongue cut out, so there's a potential for an impact on swallowing and um, my voice, but we'll wait and see. We don't know really what's going to happen there. Assuming I have to have radiation therapy post the operation, the impact of the radiotherapy is such that I will lose part of my taste buds and the ability to taste things and I'll have a reasonably dry throat because I will lose some of my saliva glands. The other interesting thing about choosing the operation as opposed to the combination of chemotherapy and radiation with no operation is that the operation is a kind of drastic but a kind of triage for the radiotherapy. I'm told they can target much more accurately the radiotherapy post an operation than they can if I don't have the operation. And in the simplest of terms, for instance, they said we'd have to target the radiotherapy on your neck and both sides of your neck and therefore both saliva glands and all of your taste buds will be affected, whereas post the operation they'll only have to target the radiotherapy on my left side and therefore the impact will be considerably less. 
Why do you want me to record your story? Recording this story is, um, I think, something that... Well, recording this story, I think, is something that people will be able to listen to, read, um, look at photos and make informed decision about the choice between chemotherapy and the operation. The operation using this robot has really only been done in Australia a dozen times also. We haven't had the robot or the robotic surgery capability here for a while. So when I was given the choice and the necessity to choose between chemotherapy and the operation, um, I had to do my own research on the robot, read about it, find out what it was. Um, and thankfully, I had my friend Carol from the ABC do that research <laughs> instead of me. Um, but now this little story is something that other people can read and hopefully it'll help them weigh up the choices between chemotherapy and radiation versus the operation. There's always a disclaimer. I'm not qualified to give you any medical advice. Any opinions need to be sought from your own medical practitioners. Of course. And this little story is really just my story.